What I'm going to share with you today is we, you know, using from the Old Testament, the old phrase, plundering the Egyptians. Uh, this is 99% from Pastor Kerry Hardy. When I was at seminary, blessed to be serving under him at Grace Community Church. He was in charge of adult and family counseling. Hey, he was teaching me. And we would sit and he would share things. And one time, somehow, don't remember all the details we got on this. What, what do you use most often in your family and marriage counseling? And he gets out these three pieces of paper, and he's sitting there on the desk, and it's like the, the three cups with the ball, you know, and you put it under one, you start moving around. And he's drawn on one, and he's drawn on the other. And I, I was following him, but I was getting a headache. And I said, Carrie, can we, like, turn this into a slide set and maybe use it to present? And so it's like, well, yeah, sure. So this is the result of that. He actually went on to teach it as a super session at the Shepherds Conference. So... Um, I did some PowerPoints, I've made some minor changes, and uh, I was blessed the Sunday school let me teach it this morning. Uh, this is actually a different slide set. Yes, I got the uh, email wrong for the media group. Uh, this is just a, a little older slide set. But I do have all the slides, I do have all my notes, as always, and I gladly share them. Afterwards, uh, one person said I need this every day, another person said I need it at least five more times. Um, I'm somewhere above the everyday level that I need this. So let's take a look at uh, counseling's number one issue. And, and where, we, where we start with this is, <clears throat> is Carrie had, had printed this and put this together. Uh, underneath all of this, of course, our foundation is Scripture itself. We learn Scripture that's down at the bottom uh, and in my other slide set, we, you know, we learn book by book, right? We learn uh, scripture, but then we move up into the big picture areas. So, you know, our goal is Christ-likeness. We have our identity in Christ, our, our union with Christ, humility, contentment, walk, trusting God. All of these things here in the middle are part of the big picture, but they are very general. They're not specific. So then when, as we continue our study, we learn uh, the roles of the husband, wife, parenting, work ethics, all of these different areas, we learn the roles and we build this as we move up in Scripture there, okay? Now, we've got to be very careful because at the same time we learn this, the other way we come back down this and the way Carrie built this slide is we have specific issues coming the other way down the slide, so you start out with specific issues in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work relationships, uh, in your Christian friendships, and you come down to that, and underlying them then are big picture issues that you need to get to. Why do you need to get to those? Well, if you just stay up here in this big box, you're dealing with behavior modification. You're not really thinking about why you need to get your role as a husband or a wife right. In other words, you're forgetting down in this big box that underneath all of our roles, we need to glorify God. If we're not doing it to the glory of God, if we're not doing it to become more like Christ, uh, there really is no spiritual benefit. On the other hand, if you don't study these and know these and you're down here all the time, then you really don't know the specifics that you need uh, in order to be a husband to be a wife, to be a parent, to know what God calls you to do. 
And so you, you don't know exactly what to do in all situations there. And of course, and it's not on this slide, if you, if you only focus underneath on learning Scripture book by book and knowing the verses, then you've got head knowledge. You've got knowledge there that puffs up and, and you're not going to be applying those. So with that in mind, what we're going to look at today is going to be in the big picture here and talking about what we underlies the issues that we have in life. And that's most important because we want to remember, we want to glorify God, we want to become Christ-like, we want to focus on these things in our life. So, think about, have you ever had a problem in your marriage, in your parenting, in your Christian relationships, and you just know that there's problems, and you don't know why? You don't know why my husband and I aren't getting along, my wife and I aren't getting along. I, we really don't know why uh, we're having problems with our teenage children. Uh, you have these questions, and you say, well, I, I really don't know why, what's going on. Well, let me show you. We'll go to the next slide. James has the answer. And look here, things in the, in the I guess here it's kind of reddish-orange, are, are things that you see on the surface what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source, now he goes down a level, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives fascinating, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So here, James already takes us from the very high level. There are problems in our lives. We're having quarrels and conflicts, and he takes it down one level, and he uses some very, very strong words, your pleasures, lust, envious. And so I've detailed those out on the next slide that these words are extremely strong words, and he uses them all in the same passage. So the message here is there's something seriously going on. Pleasures, as you can see, it's the Greek word from which we get hedonist, hedonism, gratification of sensual, natural, fleshly desires, selfish, uncontrolled, personal need, fill every passion that promises sensual satisfaction, enjoyment. Paul used it to Timothy, your lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In New Testament, it's always negative. And lust here, famous word, like I said before, every pastor knows this word. Even if they don't know Greek, they know that epithumio is the word for lust. It's got the epi on the front, which intensifies it. It means over-desire. Controlling desire is a, way, a very good way to do it. It is a desire that controls you, and hence the word lust. Envious here. This is the stronger brother of the word lust, okay? It's, we get zelao, zealous, we get from it. Stronger, more compelling feeling of desire than lust. All in one passage. All describing what's going on below our quarrels and our conflicts. In other words, James is saying something's wrong, and as we're going to see, that something is in the heart. So these things control you. But the first question that's always asked in counseling is, well, whoa, does everything lead to this? Or is everything a lust? Are desires okay? And the answer is yes, desires are okay. Let's take a look at the next slide. 
and this one's cleaned up from the Sunday school class. It had some extra things on there. Uh, it's okay to have, desire a happy marriage, a promotion at work, nice clothes. Uh, Sunday school, it had a new bike on there, and, but that's okay. It was, in the, it was in the desire category. Get married, have children, and there's nothing wrong with desires. We all desire eternity. Desires are okay. Desires are okay. You have to be careful with desires. You have to keep them in their place, keep them in perspective. Don't over-desire your desires. Don't let them grow to the point where they change categories. Because what can happen with your desires is they can move a category. And take a look at the next slide. The problem then in the heart is the desire can grow, become an over-desire, become a controlling desire, it becomes a lust. It changes categories, right? Controls you, it rules you. Well, the obvious question when you look at this is, well, then how do I know the difference between a desire and a lust? Because, of course, lust is sin and, and desire is not. Well, first is we'll look at his statements. If it's a lust... You are not happy if you do not get it. Get it. You give up your contentment. You give up your joy. You give up your peace if you don't get what you want. And or, not always, but and or, because it can just remain inside you, you are willing to disobey God to get what you want. So another way to look at this is to do it as questions. There's something that you desire in life, the happy marriage, the promotion at work, something like that. You desire it, and it, it still hasn't been decided, or it's, we're still working on it. Ask it as a question. Will I be happy? Will I be content if I do not get it? If the answer is no, then it's a lust. I won't be happy. I won't be content. And we're talking biblical, spiritual contentment here. Oh, same thing. You know, if I don't get it, am I willing to disobey God in order to get it. Of course, in relationships, a lot of times that's manipulation. That could be outright thievery if it's a physical thing that you want there. But am I willing to do it? If you answer yes to that, then it is a lust. Now, be very careful. Our society uses the word lust for sexual sin. Biblically, as we will see now, lust is far greater than that. It's a much bigger category than that. So let's take a look here. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, explains lust. And James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. And already it's saying here, you are, tempted, you are carried away and enticed by your own lust. Then when lust has conceived, when your desire turns to lust, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You can say from James that all sin is related to lust. All right? You are disobeying God when you sin, so you're disobeying because your lust gives birth to sin. Okay? States that as it happens. Lust gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. 
you are doing something that God either commands you not to do, God does not want you to do in your life. All right, so all sin is separated lust. So if we go back and look at our previous picture, you can then think about this this way. No, I'm sorry, go forward. <laughs> uh, yeah, keep going forward. There we go. Uh, forward takes us back to the previous picture. Separating our desires from lust, how do you know? Always do this practical test and ask yourself, how will I respond if I don't get what I want? How will I respond? Because your response then shows where your heart is at you know, relative to the thing that's in your life that's a situation, event, something that's gone on, a quarrel or conflict, something in your marriage, something in your parenting. It will show you your heart depending on how you answer these questions. Okay, let's go into one more detail. We built this. Really, the key is up here. If it's just a desire then your desire for God, your desire to please God, is greater than your desire for whatever that thing is. So if you don't get your desire, you're content. You're willing to let it go. God knows best for me. This wasn't God's timing. We know with Paul, God opened other doors. He kept trying to go in one direction, and we've seen this from the book of 1 Thessalonians. God said, no, you're going to Macedonia. He may open another door, but you say, God knows what's best for me. Now, even if you get your desire, you acknowledge God is the giver. All good things come from our Lord. He is the one who gives it. You, you could give it up and still honor and glorify God. You are thankful for what he's given you. That's when it's a desire. Look at the other side. When it's a lust, your desire for that thing is greater than your desire for God. Greater than your desire for God. So what happens when you don't get what you you desire? You are not content. You are willing to disobey God to get your lust. Even if God allows you to have your lust, if he allows you to have it, what's going to happen is you're going to serve it rather than God. You're going to serve it. The lust controls you. The lust rules you. So if you take a look at these examples, uh, happy marriage, you know, honestly, there are marriages that aren't happy. Fact. But if it's a desire, you are willing to continue your godly role and you are willing to please God. I remember one man down at seminary, unsaved wife, uh, I don't remember if he knew it at the time he got married. I, I couldn't believe the extent to which this man went to keep pleasing God, to keep his heart attitude right during decades of marriage to an unbeliever. And he, he kept doing and it was a constant battle for him. And his wife was willing to hear the gospel. He'd constantly bring me things and show me things he was writing to share with her. I, I, you know, I, I tell you, this, this man had, had a heart for the Lord. But that's what you do when it's a desire. If it's a lust and you don't have a happy marriage, the most common thing that we see in counseling is you manipulate. And you try to manipulate your spouse into getting what you want. And you start serving yourself through lie and manipulation. Promotion at work. This is one I saw all the time in the business world. Uh, Position would come up, multiple people on a team would be up for the position. And obviously only one's going to get it. Well, you could always tell at the lunch table, you know, those who were, had a desire and those who had a lust. 
at the, at the lunch table, those who had a lust, would, they would start the, well, you, they probably didn't know about when he said this and this. Or they probably didn't know when he really messed up this project. And what do they start to do? They try to undermine the decision. Oh, I saw that so many times. Because they were not content that they didn't get the promotion. And so their job then was to try to disobey and try to undermine the decision, make the person look bad, spread the strife, and hopefully sometime in the future things would change. Though it never did. What we were actually seeing is why they didn't get the position in the first place. Uh, nice clothes, car, house. I mean, there, if you desire, you give it up. You wait for the Lord. If not, you may go into unnecessary debt. You may take on a burden of debt that's not good stewardship of your money. It may be sin in your life for how you acquire something that uh, was, was really not something the Lord wanted you to have. Uh, getting married, having children. We've been covering this in adult Sunday school. And you know, just talking there about the primacy of marriage, talking about how children are sovereignly given by God and how important that is to know that when you're, when you're looking there. Uh, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, unwilling to wait for God. And, to go, and we saw that too in the Old Testament with uh, Rachel and Leah and that whole story there in our adult Sunday school class. By the way, I didn't say this at the beginning. I... I wanted to teach this to Dell Sunday School class, and then I decided I wanted to teach it to all of you. I had actually offered that we do the Sunday School class at 9 o'clock and such, but uh, blessed to be able to, to do it here at this time. Uh, I just thought it was so important. It is a flagrant, biased promotion for the adult Sunday School class. I'll just take that moment for this 30-second commercial in the, minute, in, in the middle of this smile. Um, all right, so bottom line is, when you lust, your desire for something is greater than your desire for God. And in these situations, I mean, how many people have said to their spouse, husband, you know, dear, we have a lousy marriage, unhappy marriage. I am not content. I am not happy. And, and it's become a lust in our marriage. I'm going to manipulate you, and I'm going to live out my lust in front of you. No. We don't use the word lust. We have all kinds of behaviors, and we're going to get to some of those. We never just admit, but this is what's going on in the heart there. there. So what do we see in counseling? I expected my wife to. I expected my husband to. I really expected my job to be different. I expected. We have words to express things. The one I most often heard is should. She should have done this. She, you should have done this. He should have done this. Should is one of the best words to describe anger in the English language because you're taking your expectation and placing it on that person and saying, you should have done that. Very quick trigger to see if you're angry. If you should yourself and you say, I should have done this, often that's guilt, okay? And you're, you're, you're piling on guilt on yourself when you, when you should yourself. But use in this manner these words. Watch your words because they, expectations are simply substitute words for the word lust. Again, we're not going to say I'm lusting. Carrie called them premeditated disappointments, right? Premeditated disappointments. 
So if you look and you see what's going on here, James starts us out at this high level of quarrels and conflicts. He brings us down a level to these very strong words, these pleasures, these envies, and, and these very strong words. But now we see James also tells us that there's a level going on even below that that's based on lust. Based on lust. All right, let's tie some of the things together. And this, this slide, we'll look at it in, in, in its opposite in the, at the, towards the end. Here's reality. Reality is right here in the middle. Fallen world. We are sinners relating to sinners, sinners in marriage, even though we're saved, we're still sinners, we're still growing. We have the reality of sinners in marriage, reality of sinners in parents, reprobate children that aren't saved yet, reality of especially in secular jobs, we're sinners. Uh, There's just the reality of me. I am a sinner. And we have to remember that. Put me in a room and I'll be sinning even if I'm by myself. But when you are in sin and you've got a lust, is your focus here? Are you starting out with a position of reality? No. What you are doing is you're changing your focus and you're focusing up here on your expectations and your lusts. And yes, that is my eyeball turned into a graphic. I am guilty of this. And so what happens is your expectations and your lusts are up there And the greater your expectations are, the greater your sin of lust is, the greater the gap is going to be. And that is expressed as, and we see that as depression, anger, bitterness, frustration, all these things. These are the symptoms. These are the fruit of the unmet expectations. And so they are more pronounced than as that gap grows. So the process here is you start with reality and over time, You get your expectations set up there, and you give up your contentment. You have now got a lust. You are now down in from the right side where the symptoms are, where you're up in the top categories that I showed on that fact. You're now down in the bottom in the big picture there, looking at the the problem that you've got lust in your life. Well, what's God's solution to this? Go to the next one. I'll just put that in there so people can remember the thing. God's solution is, first, we've got to put off. Remember, all biblical change is to put off and put on. So the first thing you do, you've got to do some putting off. You've got to repent. We'll talk about what you repent off in a minute. You've got to acknowledge and confess your behavior to your wife and to your God. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Let your sorrow turn into, let it produce repentance, because it'll be a repentance without regret. Turn away from sin. Turn back to God's way of doing things. Put off. Well, then you ask the question, well, what do I confess? We can take a look at the next slide. There's actually a process that's going on here. You're going along here at this, this you know, horizontal walk in your life, and something happens. There's an event. You get angry. There's a quarrel. There's a conflict. There's, you know, the the thing you didn't get. And you've got a decision point now. It has happened. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go God's way and responding the way God wants you to? It's a desire. You're willing to let it go. God's way says, I I understand. Or are you willing to go my, are you going to go my way? 
right? My rights, my feelings, my expectations, my lust, my plans. And as we say, and often say in counseling, you're sitting there in the back of your head going, my, oh my, am I, am I seeing a mess, all right? So two ways to go there. So I get to tell again, uh, Carrie Hardy had this wonderful, uh, of course, hypothetical example, you know, the old asking for a friend thing. Uh, the husband's at work, he's not going to get home till 7 o'clock at night, and he calls home, and, and he says, Can you, you know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm hungry, wife says dinner will be ready. Um, and he walks in, and as he walks in, as Carrie says it, she is just now opening the freezer, pulling out some frozen thing from the freezer. And his expectations, uh, I'm sorry, the hypothetical husband's expectations kick in, and he goes in and says, uh, 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 what, what, it, I, I expected, uh, you, you said you were going to have dinner ready. I mean, I've been at work until 7 o'clock. Um, what's going on here? Okay. Well, what's really going on here is something at that moment is greater to him than God. Because he certainly didn't focus on his wife. He didn't ever find out whether she had a horrific day with the children. Horrific day with, with maybe a, a parent or you know, all kinds of things. He has no clue what her day was like or what happened in this intervening time from when he just called home and, and she was going to try to have dinner ready. So something is greater, greater than God. So if we go forward, the dynamic of this my way that's going on at that decision of my way is it really just that what's going on at the surface? Is it really just impatience? Is it really just frustration, anger? No. At the moment of that decision, there's something that's more important to you than God. That something has been elevated. That something is me. Whatever we place above God, even at that moment, that is what we worship. Anything we place above God, we call idolatry. You are worshiping yourself and not worshiping God. So you can see how this is coming down. We, we, we've now gone below, you know, gone the sorts of quarrels and conflicts, the, the, the nasty words down to lust. It really still moves another layer, and it moves down to idolatry. I know better than God. Right? So what Kerry says in his story, instead of walking in and just going, well, uh, what you need to do ahead of time is to get a lifelike, you know those cardboard things of yourself, you know, get, take the photo and have the lifelike car, cardboard thing made and coat it with gold and put it over in the corner. And before you say a word to your wife, he says you need to go over and you need to get down on your hands and knees before this cardboard thing of yourself and you see, he's got to say to it, yes, I'm going to put you first. You know, yes, I'm going to worship you only. Yes, you are the only ones that deserves to have your expectations met. And after you've gone over there and you've worshipped this idol of yourself, then he says, then you can get back up and go over to your wife and go, uh, what? You know, where's dinner? All right? Because that's what you've done in your heart. You have placed yourself, and certainly above God, certainly above your wife. So if we look and we go back, go, go forward slide, going back to this previous slide, essentially what's happening here when it's a lust is you are placing me, myself, greater than God. It's idolatry. Okay? I love myself. I want my way. I don't get it. And I am not happy. 
It's a very, very, very major thing that's going on here. So let's go forward. There's something going on here that's much bigger than just the simple expectations, the simple anger, the simple frustration. It's a sinful dynamic that has been allowed to grow in the heart. It is lust, which is then idolatry. Self-love, self-motives, the self-life. So what is waiting for this person? Go forward. We can go forward. There we go. You know, obviously, if you go God's way, you're going to have a clear conscience. You're going to have blessing. You're going to be right with the Lord and such. But if you go the other way, and I'm going to change this in the future to guilty, because you have the feeling of guilt if you're a Christian. God's, God's going to bring on guilt. But you are guilty. You are guilty of sin before God. And what's going to happen here is God's going to, like I like to call it, kick you over into Hebrews 12, where, you know, what, what good father doesn't chase and doesn't discipline his son? God is going to take you over there because God has promised that he began that good work in you, is going to complete it. Or as we see in 1 Peter, study sometime verses 14 to 17 in chapter 1, where he says, don't be conformed to the world, right, as as your formal manner of life because you're obedient children now. But be holy, he says, just because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So no other reason. And then in verse 17, it's fascinating. He says, since you call your father God, it says, you know, God is an impartial judge. Therefore, live your life in fear of God. And what the verse is teaching is God is watching your path. And God is watching your path of holiness. Of course, you know, being uh, an impartial judge, he's not going to send you to hell. He's going to send you over into Hebrews chapter 12. He's going to chasten you. And he wants your path being that upward path on the right there growing in holiness. If God sees that your path is off, not one time, but your path is off, you're going down this, then he's going to chasten you to get you back onto that path. And so you should fear God as a father that would chasten his son, discipline his son, knowing that when your life gets off track, he's, he, he, he can, as we know from King David, or, you know, he can make him miserable. So that's what's waiting here. You, you are down on my way. You're, and you are not happy on this way. You are not content. And you're certainly cut off from God's blessing. So if we go forward, let's go back to what... Um, God's solution to this is, of course, put off first, but put on then needs to be replacement, the other half of biblical change. We need to put on new new thinking. We need to to put on new behavior that flows out of this thinking. This is certainly, you know, at the big box level, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, right? Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Excellent example is in Ephesians chapter 4, which at the end of chapter 4, there's a lot of put-ons and put-offs. And Paul uses a very explicit example of the thief in 428. He says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who is in need. So Paul's using very explicit, stop using your hands to steal Start using your hands to serve the Lord, to share with others, all right? And that's why it's put off and it's put on. All right, well, now let's take this and move forward and see what does this look like in terms of 
what we saw before. Previously, we, you know, reality is still here. Previously, so we saw the arrow is pointing up to the expectations and lust. If you have put off, that arrow is no longer going up that direction. The arrow now is going down. You have changed your focus. Reality is still there. The expectations are still there. But you've changed your focus. And you've put your focus then on what I really deserve. And what do I really deserve? Honestly, hell, eternal damnation, judgment, misery, no desires ever being met, no plans ever working. If once in your life your, your spouse is kind to you, that is more than you deserve. We've sinned against the holy God. We deserve death. He could have ended the human race with Adam and Eve. Eat of the tree and you will die. Did they die physically? No. They died spiritually, but they didn't die physically. He could have ended it there. He chose a path of mercy and grace. And yet all of us sin because we are born sinners. And so every one of us really, truly deserves hell. We, we don't even deserve the breath we just took. And we're going to get down to specifics. But if you focus on what you really deserve as a starting point, then what that leads to is gratitude, or I change it to thankfulness, that changes to then thankfulness, okay? You know what you really deserve, and instead you are thankful. Let's go to the next slide. What are you thankful for? Like I said, just thankful. You're, you're, just start from the point my sins are forgiven. And in reality... We set all these expectations and lust for all these different areas of our life. How long is our life in respect to eternity? Not much. And Kerry must have had some counseling cases because, you know, he, he put this in here. There's a, there's a limit to what we can accomplish and fulfill here. But the bottom line is we start with just thankfulness. When Kerry walked in that night, I'm sorry, his hypothetical man walked in that night you know, he's got to start with, I'm just thankful that I have a wife. Right? I'm thankful for everything that happens. So let me focus on her and find out why that dinner was there. Even though I'm tired, I still, no matter how tired, I still have to obey God. I still want to please God. And I start with thankfulness. And as I, I often like to say, you know, there's a lot of scripture that says, you know, hold every thought captive and, and all these things that are seemingly impossible. The easiest way to start keeping your focus constantly on things above is to always be thankful. Look at every moment, every situation. Turn everything into a, an opportunity. Say, thank, thank you, Lord. You've given this to me. It, 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 I didn't have anything to do with this. Just be thankful. And if you practice thankfulness, you're getting your mind off yourself, Right? You're, you can't think about yourself because you're thank you never, you know, I, of course, I could go around and say, I thank me. No, we don't do that. We, we th when you get off yourself, you can start to undo these lusts, start to undo these things. You're certainly changing your worship. Just start with thankfulness. Be thankful. All right? All right. We talked about one situation. This is what it really looks like. It's really, Paul called it his favorite verb, walk. 
Psalm 19 calls it a path. Peter likes to call it your manner of life, your behavior. All kinds of words. Life is really a lot of daily choices. Choices about many things. Choices in every one of those areas that was in that top box there. Choice after choice after choice. That then becomes the bigger path with the two arrows. If you go forward, you can see that the real fork, fork in the road is, is that we are creatures of habit. Right? And the Bible actually uses the word habit. It's a, it's a biblical word. Habitual patterns of thinking, behavior. How do we develop these habits? Well, the picture shows it. We don't just get up one morning as an anxious person. No. You've got to start at some point looking at some person, something, and choose to look at it differently. Okay? You develop your lusts over many, many small choices and decisions, habits. Okay? And those habits then, those choices change your focus. You're going to hear this a lot. It's my red and green test. In counseling, you ask the husband and the wife, look around the room, okay, and see everything that's red. So you're probably noticing the chairs are red. See all those things, and then you say, okay, after you've looked around the room, make a list in your mind of everything that's red, close your eyes. And you really get them to close their eyes. And then their eyes are closed. Say, tell me everything you saw in the room that was green. And they're like, wait a second. I, didn't, I was looking for all the red stuff. That's what we do with our choices. You choose at some point to start looking at the red instead of the green. You get your eyes off of what God has blessed you with. You get your eyes off of thankfulness, and you start looking at the negative. You start thinking of the red stuff. So many times in marriage counseling, some of the simplest things, it's just like, whoa, look what you're focused on. How about, you know, for the next week, just focused on five things you'll love about your wife, <laughs> five things you appreciate about your husband. Just let's start changing this pattern. And then you know, find five things that you need to repent of in the next week where you, where you were focused on, you know, something that you didn't like about what they did. Small decisions, habits, these. Uh, MacArthur, picking up on this, he said, you know, when sin occurs, say you're a murderer. That's the murder right there. The last step, he says, is never a big one. The last step is never a big one. That's because you get to the point where you are angry enough to murder. You had to build up that anger thought by thought, thought by thought, thought by thought. All right. I said I wouldn't use this example in, when in Sunday school. I used to weigh 232 pounds. Okay? How did I get there? One bite at a time. One meal at a time. One choice to snack at a time. One at a time choice and I ate more than my body needed. Got pictures from my first bike race. Okay? I was a Michelin doughboy. Uh, but, but, with the Lord's help, and I realized, you know, I was doing ministry and I was doing work, I wasn't pleasing Him. I wasn't being a good steward of my body. I, I was having a hard time standing up preaching, saying they'd listen to me, like that. And so with the Lord's help, because I changed that pattern, it changed much quicker than I got there. Okay? And so I had, I had eating habits. I still love to snack at night. Don't call me after 7 p.m. I'm usually eating. But we work on it. So if we go forward, 
how do we change? All right? Instead of me with one bite at a time, it is one choice at a time in a Godward direction. Small daily choices to give up our expectations, our rights. Give up those lusts one choice at a time. One moment by moment. And what's really going on here? It is a moment by moment choice of who do you worship. When sin is your life, it's a moment by moment choice of who do you worship. See, whenever you choose to go up this way, you're saying, God, I choose to worship you. You're on the throne. You have the right way. Your way is the blessed way. It's the way of blessing and protection. Every time you choose to go down this path here, you're you're telling God, I know better. I'm going to do it my way rather than your way. In In essence, you're saying, I'm on the throne of my life and not you, Lord. And as I said in 1 Peter 1.17, God is watching your path. And if you get off the path of holiness, if you start spending too much time putting yourself, thinking you're putting yourself on the throne, he's going to pull you back up because he will complete the good work that he started in you. So, go back, go forward slide. No, oh, is that the one that comes up next? Okay. Go back one. We'll just sit, uh, go back, go back. Yeah, like I said, it's the older slides. We'll just stop right there. If you go back, to, if we were to, were to go back to that original boxes at the high level, and you understand the roles and the places where there can be issues in your life, those issues are triggers. And what I had in the new slides that I showed the Sunday school classes, it's like that idiot light on your car, the one that shows that you have an underinflated tire, and it's kind of this <laughs> round, you know, tire that's yellow with an exclamation to point, and your car is telling you, your tire is underinflated. We have idiot lights in cars. When we look at the, in, the events in our life, when we look at the emotions that we're running, we're looking at them, we're angry and we're dissatisfied, those are all idiot lights because they're, they're, they're check-your-heart lights. God is telling you when you look at this, when you're not content, when you've given up your joy and your peace and, and you're, you're not pleasing God with your, your heart attitude, the idiot lights are on for you to do a heart check. That's what's really going on. So all of those things in the top box where you can have those issues in your life really mean to stop, look down a level there, and see what's going on. And what you're going to find is nothing in your life, your attitudes, your heart attitudes, depends on your circumstances. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. Your heart attitude, your contentment depends on who you worship, where your focus is. Very, very important. So it doesn't depend on changing your spouse, changing your children. It starts with you. And it starts inside with your heart attitude, what you worship. Okay, well, the last two slides here, just for the fun of it. Uh, Stuart Scott, the Exemplary Husband book. I was sharing an office with him uh, at the church, and I'd been working on this with Carrie, and he says, oh, I want that for my book, The Exemplary Husband. So we made up this real fancy thing, and then the publisher saw it and said, there's got to be some graphics in here that are copyrighted. So if you read The Exemplary Husband, you'll see a very simple, like just little line drawing of the same thing because he pulled our fancy slide. And uh, this is the, his side, and of course he's got the sword. You have got the most buff wife that you've ever seen in Christianity. I forgot to thin that arm out. Um, yeah. So I just want, you know, That's kind of a quality thing. The key thing here is, first of all, you have cut yourself off from God. This black line here 
is you have cut yourself off from God. God's out of the picture. And God is opposed to the proud, 1 Peter 5, 5. And the other big thing here is you're staked here. You ever get like that where you get, you know, draw the line in the sand, you, you put the stakes down, and you're not going to change your position? Yeah, that's what's going on here. And so what's going on inside is all these things. It's proud and fleshly. But, and we go to the last slide, when you're willing to repent of your lusts, when you're willing to go God's way, when you're willing to see it from his perspective, when you're willing to focus on the other person, what do you give? You give your anxieties to the Lord, and he gives grace to the humble. So instead of that hard line here, and of course sun shining now, uh, there's grace to the humble, and the stakes are gone. Because all you're concerned about is pleasing God, God's glory, <clears throat> the other person's good, the other person's desire. You're humble. We also use this in Christian counseling with a, with, a, um, with a triangle here where God's at the top, the husband and the wife are here in a triangle. And what we often teach is the way to bring the husband and wife closer is for both of them to grow in Christ-likeness. And the more they grow in Christ-likeness, just a picture, but the more they grow in Christ-likeness, the more of their character, the more of their, the more of their lives are going to be Christ-like. And of course, that means they're going to be more of the same. So this is the picture then when we are willing to grow, change, and not, not let lust begin, become in our lives. And that, there it is. I, I hope that helps you grow. I do have copies of this. I can send you full notes, full slides. I'd love to share it with you. But right now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that not only have we, you given us your word and given us so often, though we, we don't think it this way, it's so often clear teaching that, that directly applies to our lives. But in addition to that, you have given us pastors and teachers. I thank you for the blessing that you have given us and given me through Pastor Kerry Hardy and the work that he did and, and, and the countless number of couples that you've blessed him with and families you've, you've blessed them with through the, the work that he did here and that we have been able to share. We thank you for that. We thank you that uh, now we can put our lives aside and put all of these cares and concerns and take material like this and, and focus then on where we need to change, where we need to grow, where we need to repent, and where we need to be more Christ-like by honoring you, by worshiping you alone. We thank you because all of this is given to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and to whom you've eternally blessed us. We are thankful for that. In his name we pray. Amen.